0: Okay, Because in the conference that I was in just this past week, many of the speakers, and Pastor Ronald knows this, they were talking a lot about Israel and how it's God's land and how the Lord had his hands, his hands on that land. Yeah. And so this morning what I want to do, if I could, is to show you the reason why okay. and give you a little bit of a background and hopefully will help lay a, a foundation So that you can understand why God has his hand on that land the way he does. All right. And so I'm starting out with this picture and I'm standing. Those of you who have been, you know where I'm standing. I'm on the Mount of Olives. Yes. And I'm looking at Mount Moriah here. This is Mount Moriah. This is where the temple once stood. So if I'm looking this way. You've got so much scripture here because you can look at John chapter 8 here and you can look at John chapter 9 down there and you can look at Acts chapter 1 over here and Acts chapter 2 over here and you can look at 2 Samuel chapter 15 over here and you can look at Genesis chapter 22 here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. 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 That's Jerusalem is mentioned in over 763 verses of the Bible. Wow! Over 800 times by name and that doesn't even include things like Zion, or city of the great king, or other synonyms that are associated with Jerusalem. So what's up with this place? Because those of you who've been, you know, you gotta wanna get there to get there. It's up in the hills. You know, it's not some big metropolitan area. It's not some great uh, port city or economic powerhouse. And yet the whole eyes of the world are on this place. God commanded the nation of Israel to come back here three times a year to worship him. God told Abraham to almost, almost sacrifice Isaac there. I mean, you can go on and on. And the Lord gave his life there. The Lord's coming back to rule and reign from there. Yes. Right, right. Amen. So what's yes. up with this place? Yeah. So I thought what we would do is go back and take a look and see what is up with this place. So first question I have for you this morning. How many of you believe that there really was a Garden of Eden? Yes. I do. Yes. Why? Why? God said there was one. (laughs) The Bible said there was one. And he gives us some great clues as to where this place was located. And so, oops. uh, There we go. I'm getting the hang of it. Let's take a look at some of the clues that we have in the Word of God and see if we can locate where this Garden of Eden was located. So, Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 it says the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground breathed through his nostrils the breath of life man became a living being and the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden so we have a garden planted in the east and we have a land of Eden we have a garden and we have a land of Eden yes everybody good on that okay this is going to be a challenge Alright, now a river flowed out of Eden, to water the garden from there, divided and became? Four. Very important. The name of the first is the Pishon. It flowed the whole, around the whole land of Havilah, where there's gold. Of the gold of that land is good. The bdellium and the Onyx Stone are there. The name of the second is the Gihon. It flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third is the Tigris. It flows east of Assyria. And the fourth is the river Euphrates. Now, let's take a look first. And see about this clue about east. Where's east? (laughs) Don't say opposite west. Where is east? (laughs) All right, let me help you. East in this in this context, east is not a direction. East is a region. And so let's take a look and see what the Bible says to see if it can help define where east was and we can go here to Genesis chapter 29 verse 1 and it says Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the sons of the east and then he helps us out by saying hey guys where are you from and he says we're from Haran so this map shows you where Haran is you see the Tigris River you see the Euphrates River Haran is up there this is where Abram meandered to get back to the promised land he stopped in Haran that's when it, where his father passed away so then, Judges chapter 6, verse 3, for it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up against the Amalekites and sons of the East and go against them. Then all the Midianites, Amalekites, sons of the East assembled themselves and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Here's another map that shows you where Midian is located, right down here on the bottom. It's just south of the, of the Dead Sea, and the Amalekites are located in that same region down in the what is known now as the southern area of Israel. Uh, and so um, here's this very famous passage of scripture where is he who's been born king of the Jews we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him we know that he was born in Bethlehem so we can then take a look at a map and say we can hone this thing in and say it must have been somewhere in the land that we now know is the land of the middle east really y'all are so good you're also so smart <laughs> they were so I smart. <laughs> you know, you come to Jesus. And I, what I like about this, what I, I'm amazed about, is that we can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and see terms that are used even today to define a region of the world. All right. So we have this other river called the Pishon River flowed through the land of Havilah, where there's gold, medallion, and stone are there. Where is Havilah? Genesis chapter 25 verse 18 they settled from Havilah to Shur which is east of Egypt as one goes towards Assyria he settled in defiance of all his relatives 1 Samuel 15:7 so Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur which is east of Egypt if you go to this map in Dakes you see where Havilah is south of the Dead Sea in an area known as the Arava east Egypt's over here Havilah's here you turn hard left go all the way up to Assyria All right? This is what this region looks like today. You guys who have been to Israel, you know that this is what it looks like today. This is the Dead Sea. One person said it looks like the the surface of the moon. (laughs) It's dead. It's barren. There's nothing there. But at one time, the Bible describes this area as looking like the Garden of the Lord. It was so lush and fertile and full of life. And it was so lush and fertile and full of life... It must have had a fresh water source at some point, okay? Now, if you go there, the Dead Sea is dead. You don't swim in the Dead Sea. You float in the Dead Sea. (laughs) (laughs) And you can see what this lady's doing here. and They cake themselves up with mud and all of this. But south of the Dead Sea, in an area that hasn't had water since the days of Lot, is now a place called, you can look this up on Google, Sapper Park. Sapper Park in the land of the Arava is a place that you're going to see, Isaiah chapter 35, which describes an area south of the Dead Sea in the land of the Arava as having grass, green, lush, reeds, grass, uh, uh, pond, and this is Isaiah 35 that is beginning to form south of the Dead Sea in the region of the Arava. A pool, a stream, an artesian uh, uh, fountain, thank you. This is what it looks like. Reeds, grass, rushes, little ducks on the pond. Um, There's so much water that's flowing underground that it is forcing its way up ...to form this pool. This this spring here is not a human or a man-made pump. It is an artesian spring that is pushing its way up to feed into this pond. And again, this has not been there since the days of Lot. And yet, in Isaiah chapter 35, I'm told that that is a millennial prophecy. And if that is a millennial prophecy, and we see it happening now in the land of Israel then there's prophetic posturing going on to prepare the way of the Lord to come back. And if this is going on now, then yes. how close are we to the second coming of the Lord? Amen. Yes. So the Pishon River is still flowing in the same area, but it's flowing underground. Because the Bible said it flowed there. Right. Now we have this last river called the Pishon River. Or excuse me, the Gihon River flowed through the land of Cush. You can see Cush is down here, southern Egypt, and this is the Nile River. This is the Sea of Galilee, right? uh, Let's see here, right here. Okay, and there is a book, "The Sea of Galilee and Its Fishermen," by a man by the name of Mendel Nun. And he's since passed away, but he wrote about the history of the Galilee. And he states that there is a catfish that's indigenous to the Sea of Galilee and to the Nile River. And it gets from the Nile River to the Sea of Galilee. It's not a flying fish. It takes an underground river and it flows, connects the Nile River to the Sea of Galilee under what is modern day Israel. Gihon River. As a matter of fact, it says, I'll go back to this, this is page 10, you can probably read it because it has no scales, may be eaten by Jews, which reduces its economic importance. Josephus Flavius refers to the catfish by its Greek name, corkinos, meaning water raven, he notes that it is found in the Nile. In his opinion, this is 2,000 years ago now, this fact supports the popular belief that there was an underground connection between the Nile and the lake and that it emerged from below the ground at the largest spring of Tabga. Gihon is one of those rivers, and there is a spring on the south side of Jerusalem where the kings were anointed as king, known as the spring of Gihon, where the underground river flows, which is under Jerusalem, and is referred to here as well as other passages of Scripture. And so, let's set up a theory here and say that where Jerusalem now is, is where the Garden of Eden was once located. I'm going to say it again. (laughs) Where Jerusalem now is, is where the Garden of Eden was once located. And if that's true, and there's nothing that I said that contradicts the Word of God, as a matter of fact, it is supported by the Word of God. And if that's true, then we can understand why God has his heart in Jerusalem and why he has his eyes on Jerusalem and why he told the nation of Israel to come back three times a year to worship yeah. him here and why he told Abraham to almost sacrifice Isaac there and why he told his son to give his life there and why his son is coming back to rule and reign there because that's where it all began and that's where it's all going to end. Right, amen. Yes, that's God is a God of order, church. Yes, yes. And no demon in hell can change the plan. That's right. So it starts there and it ends there. And what I did, I was curious, okay? And so this is a, this is a a, a, ma- a map in the back of my Bible, and I used this scale on the bottom here. And I was curious, and I thought, you know, what happens if I take Jerusalem as the center point, and I measure an area that would encompass those four rivers? So I had to go from Jerusalem about 750 miles east in order to encompass the Tigris-Euphrates. You see it down there? Say, mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Okay. Then I got, I have to go about 750 south in order to encompass the land of Cush. Okay. See it down there? Then I have to go about 750 north in order to encompass the headwaters of the Tigris-Euphrates. And then I have to go about 750 west to form a square 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles which just happens to be the dimensions of the new Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21, verse 10, and He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod, measured the city with the gates of his walls. city is laid out as a square, its length as great, its width, and the measure of the city with the rod 1,500 miles, its length and width and height are equal. That's right. God is a God of order. Yes. And we have a land of Eden, and we have a garden within the land. So this land is important to God. It's yes. where it started. This is why I had to lay the foundation here. And this is not my idea. This is a gentleman by the name of Peter Micus, since gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, his wife is continuing the ministry. There's a, a website, uh, messengers-up-messiah.org. And he was, he was doing some research and he had gotten to the point where he couldn't go any further. And he told me, he put his head on the table and he said, God, you you need to help me. I can't go any further. And God showed him what he called a movie, a vision. And he showed him where the original Garden of Eden was located. Now, you can have visions all day long, but it has to be supported by the word. So you go back to the word and you say, you know what? This makes sense. This works. Pretty cool. So, so if this is the case then this would be the original Garden of Eden, where Jerusalem is. This would be where the Tree of Life was located, in the center of the Garden, where the Temple would eventually be located, where the Giver of Life would reside. This would be where the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil would be located, and where Adam and Eve exited the Garden. Now, how do I know that? Well, there's a passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. So he drove the man out, And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim with flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the Tree of Life. They couldn't go back to the Tree of Life, which is in the center of the Garden. So the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil would have been on the east side of the Garden. And those of you who have been to to Jerusalem know that the the mountain on the east of Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives. Am I telling the truth, folks, that have been there? Yes. So that must have been where Adam and Eve exited the Garden. That must have been where the tree of life was located, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was located, because they weren't allowed back to the tree of life. Which means now, does that help us in understanding something that took place in the New Testament? First of all, what kind of tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The apple got a bad rap on this one. Okay. I'll show you what the, what, the, what the rabbinical teaching says. When Adam and Eve ate from the fruit, they realized they were naked since the fruit that they had eaten was a fig. They made loincloths out of fig leaves, not having any needles. They sewed it with a straw or a thorn, which makes sense because when they sinned, they took the first leaves they could get their hands on to make coverings, which was what? A fig leaf, right? All right, so how does that help us in understanding something else that happened later on, Mark chapter eleven. Those of you who've been to Israel, you know that Bethany is on the backside of the Mount of Olives, right. which is where the Lord was located, and He's coming toward Jerusalem, walking over the Mount of Olives. Yeah. Yes, right. verse twelve. On the next day, when they had left Bethany, He became hungry, seeing at a distance a fig leaf, or fig tree and leaf on the side of the Mount of Olives, in the area where the original sin took place. If this was the Garden of Eden. He looks at this fig tree, God Almighty in the flesh. And this poor little fig tree didn't even have a chance to have fruit on it and he curses it. He says, no one will ever eat fruit from you again. Now, come on. I look at this and I say, what in the world is that all about? This poor little fig tree. <laughs> he just gives, he kills us. I mean, why? Well, if you understand the type of tree that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was and you understand the location of where this took place and you understand that the Lord understands what took place and why he had to come now to give his life because because of what happened there God was going to have to teach mankind the difference between good and evil through the law through the law comes the knowledge of sin knowledge of good and evil so he's teaching the the people about sin good and evil but God, in His Son Yeshua, is coming to earth to fulfill the sacrificial law. And so He's cursing this fig tree, letting everybody know, you can't get to God through the sacrificial law anymore, because I am now the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh through the Father but through Me. But you have to understand the location of the Garden of Eden, and you have to understand that the Adam and Eve exited the garden that way, and the tree of life, and, and the location, and all of that, to get the picture. Is it making sense? Are we, are we tracking together? Yes. All right, good. So again, that would be the scene of the original crime. The Mount of Olives would be the scene of the original crime, of where Adam and Eve fell, partake of the fruit, and exited over the top of the Mount of Olives. Okay. So, we have the scene of the original crime. And then we have this promise in Genesis chapter 13, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. God is telling Satan, the serpent, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Nothing you can do about it. You're going to get your licks in, but the seed is going to bruise you. He's going to give you a death blow. He's going to bruise you on the head. We're going to establish the seed is the important thing. We're going to establish the promise of the reason why the seed is coming and we're establishing the scene of the crime, which is going to be the scene of redemption as well. So the land is important to God. So let's take a look at that important land. Genesis chapter 12. Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your house, father's house to a land. This is to Abram now. To the land that I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. Make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, Genesis 15, we go to the pack between halves. And we're going to read this. And we're going to show you why or what happened there to establish that land as the land of promise. Now, behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, 'Uh uh-uh, no, the air is going to come from your own body. It's not going to be just somebody that's living in your house. And he took him outside and he said, look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abram was able to believe that in his old age he was going to have so many descendants that they were going to be like the stars of the heaven. And then the Lord said, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. Why? To give you that land. That piece of real estate. To possess it. And this one, he was able to believe about all the descendants, but this one was so beyond him that he said to God, how may I know that I'm going to, how is this possible? So the Lord did this. Bring me a three-year-old heifer, and actually in the Hebrew I'm told that it's three heifers or triplets. Three-year-old heifer, three-year-old female goat, three-year-old ram, turtle dove, and young pigeon. He brought all these to him. He cut them in two, laid each half opposite the other, but did not cut the birds. Birds of the prey came down upon the carcasses. Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell on him. And God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. They will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. I'm going to judge that nation. And they're going to be rich beyond measure when they come out. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried at a good old, day, old age. And in the fourth generation, they'll return here for the iniquity. of The Amorite is not yet complete, which is another subject that we're not going to get in here, here this morning. And then 17, it says, now it came about when the sun had set. It was very dark and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch. What is that? That is the Lord. That is God Almighty going between the pieces. I'll show you in a little bit. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants, I have given this land. From the river Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, Kenite, Kenanite, Cadmonite, Hittite, Perizzite, Rephaim, Amorite, Canaanite, Garyzite, all the Ites. yes. And here, I want to show you another example of the same description. Remember now, smoking oven, flaming torch. This is when the Lord came down on Mount Sinai, and the description is very similar. The Lord descended upon it in fire, the flaming torch, smoke of a furnace, a smoking oven, right? It's the Lord coming through those pieces to establish to Abraham, I am get, setting a covenant up with you to tell you that I will make this happen. I will make this happen. And here's the definition of a covenant. Contract or agreement between two parties. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word berith is always translated. Berith is derived from a root, which means to cut. Hence, the covenant is a cutting with reference to a cutting or dividing of animals into two parts. The contracting parties passing between them and making a covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham. And to show you how serious this was. I'm going to show you another example of when they did not honor passing through the pieces and what was going to happen to them. Verse 18, I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant which they made before me when they cut in the calf in two and passed between its parts. All the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, their dead bodies will be food for the birds of the sky and the peace of the earth. In other words, God is saying, Abraham, I'm going to make this happen. I'm walking between the pieces. And if I don't make this happen, I'm going to be like the dead bodies of these animals. I will no longer exist. Do you have any questions now, Abraham? (laughs) Do you have any questions now? So the curse of Canaan. Look at the promise here, or look at the command, I should say, of Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons. Noah and his sons. Both of them. Now Noah is up there in years by now. He's around 600 years old. But he's telling Noah. <laughs> this, is a, this is an encouragement to all the older people here. Noah and his sons. And said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So... Genesis 9, verse 20, very interesting. Noah began farming, plants a vineyard, gets drunk as drunk can be. Ham, the father of Canaan, and they always associate the two. Saw the nakedness of his father, told his two brothers outside, Skip down to verse 24. Noah had awoke from his wife. He knew what his youngest son had done to him. It wasn't just looking on him. He did something to him. Jewish literature on this. Again, rabbinical teaching. This is what they say he did to him. Ham found out his father was lying naked. He said to himself, Adam originally had two sons. One murdered the other. My father already has three sons. How dare he have another one making it four? Ham felt so threatened by the possibility of having another brother that he performed a crude operation to sterilize his father so that he would not be able to have any more children. Like I said, that guy was drunk. But it makes sense because if you read in the word of God, it never says that Noah had any more children, even though God told him to go ahead and have more children. So, Noah knew what his youngest son had done to him, and he said, Cursed be Ham. No. Cursed be the son of Ham, Canaan. A servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be a servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be a servant. Everybody knew that that land was paramount or very, very important to the Almighty. And evidently, Noah knew that there was a plan afoot by, by uh, Ham and his son Canaan to ultimately have the descendants settle in that land in order to thwart the na- the, the plan of God wow. and then to take over humanity just like they were planning on doing prior to the flood because they knew what happened prior to the flood. Right. So Noah fixed it and says, I'm prophesying now that your descendants are going to be servants. You will not be the head. You will be the tail. You will be the service to these two brothers of yours. And yet, the plan still was attempted by Canaan. Watch. This is the descendants of Canaan. Became the father of Sidon, his firstborn Heth. And the Jebusite, the Amorite, the Gergesite, and all the Ites were the descendants of Canaan. Genesis 15:18. go back to that promise. God said to them, I'm going to give your descendants that land that is now possessed by the Canaanite, the Canaanite, the Canaanites, the Ammonites, all the ites. Yeah. The descendants of Canaan. Why do you think they called it the land of Canaan? Because it was the descendants of Canaan that tried to settle that land to take over that land because they knew, he knew how important that land was to God yeah. and he wanted to thwart the plan of God. Yeah. Wow. Right. Okay. <laughs> so the covenant with Abram, the nation and the seed, they're always intertwined, they're always connected. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you, to your descendants after you. What a great promise. I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. They're going to be my family. I like that kind of father. Yes, absolutely. So, fast forward, Genesis 20. Abram is telling Abimelech, and Abimelech is a title, Abi Melech. is king, Abi is his father. So, he was a father and a king to his tribe, to his nation, okay? okay. So, Abram says uh, to Abimelech, She's my sister. Abimelech thought, Woohoo, okay. So I'll take her as my wife, or whatever she, she would be to him. But God, remember now, Sarah is carrying the seed. That's right. Yeah. So God comes to Abimelech at night in a dream, says, You're a dead man. <laughs> now can you imagine? This man is a heathen. He not you know, he's a pagan. Right. And he has God Almighty wake him up oh, yeah. and says, You are a dead man. <laughs> because of the woman whom you have taken she is married now suddenly this guy becomes a believer (laughs) and he looks and he says Abimelech had not not come near to her and he said Lord you're going to slay a nation even though blameless again he's Avimelech; he's the head of this nation he's he's the leader did he not say to himself she's my sister and she herself he's my brother in the integrity of my heart the innocence of my hand I've done this and the Lord says to him in this dream yeah okay I know that in the integrity of your heart you've done this and I've also kept you from sinning against me because I didn't let you touch her Amen. <laughs> now I'm going to tell you what to do you're going to restore that man's wife he's a prophet and he's going to pray for you and because that man prays for you I'm going to let you live but if you don't restore her Know for certain, you're a dead man. And not only you, but everybody that's associated with you. The seed and the land. You don't mess with it. So, Abimelech, he takes sheep, oxen, male, female servants, gives them to Abraham, restores his wife Sarah, and Uh, (laughs) please, anywhere in my land, go. You can have it. I don't care. (laughs) and to Sarah he says behold I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver behold it is your vindication before all who are with you before all men you are cleared and Abram did what God had asked him to do he prayed for for the guy and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids so they bore children for the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because Sarah Abram's wife and only women in this in this place knows what that would feel like yeah so continue the covenant with Isaac Isaac is the promised son. And the covenant continues with Isaac. Genesis 17, 19. God told Sarah, excuse me, Abram, your wife Sarah will bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. What's the covenant entail? Genesis 26:3, Sojourn in this land. I will be with you. I'll bless you. For you and your descendants I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abram, the seed and the land. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and I will give your descendants all these lands. By your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abram obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law. So Abimelech, charged all the people, now this is probably a bit the, orig- the original Abimelech's son, again this is a title father, king so Isaac and Rebekah, he sees that they are husband and wife and so Abimelech understands what happened to dad and how he got reprimanded by God, so he tells everybody in his charge, he who touches this man or his wife I'm going to kill him <laughs> The covenant with Jacob, Jacob is the son of Isaac. Behold, now the Lord stood above it and said, "I am the Lord, the God of your father Abram, God of Isaac. On the land which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants." Again, the land and the seed—they're connected, and they are the possession of the descendants of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. Your descendants will also be like dust of the earth. You'll spread out east, west, north, south in you and your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I am with you, keep you wherever you go, and bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. So here's another situation where somebody's going to come up against Jacob, one of the descendants of Abram. Jacob had worked for Laban for 20 years. He had, at that point, been able to enrich himself he had wives he had children and he was leaving laban he was leaving laban with not so much laban was not happy about it he's going to do harm and god comes to laban and the armenian in a dream at night it's funny how he does this at night all the time and he looks at him and he says be careful jacob is the seed carrier be careful that you do not speak to Jacob either good or to bad. He's my family member. Don't mess with him. Exodus chapter 2 Now it comes to the time where Israel has been become a nation. They have expanded. they are now millions of people. when the, the Bible says when they exited Egypt there was 600,000 men plus women and children. estimated about two million people. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. What's the covenant? Back in Genesis chapter 15. And then we want to play the, uh, establish the place of sacrifice, and that goes back again to Abraham. Genesis chapter 22. Now it came about after all these things that God tested Abram. And he said to him, Abram, and he said, here I am. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. This is the land of Moriah. This is where God commanded him to take him back to sacrifice his son. Why? Because that's where the original sin took place. That was the scene of the original crime. And that would be the scene now of the redemption. And Abram was going to establish this place as the place of redemption. And because he did it, because he did it exactly like God had said, and because he had such trust in the Lord Almighty that if he sacrificed his son, and he knew that his son was the seed carrier, and he knew that he was the one that was going to carry on the covenant, that God would be able to reach into those ashes if he had to burn him to a crisp and bring him back to life again because God was going to honor his promise. And he said... By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, because you would go to the same lengths that I would go to to be able to redeem Robert Vandermont and all the rest of those who would put, put their faith and their trust in my son to give his life, because you have done this. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars in the heaven and the sand which is on the seashore, and in your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies and in your seed all the Jews of the earth no even a goy like me can come in in your seed here's the seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice now Joshua chapter 23 here's the warning You're going to have the land. But if you ever go back and cling to the rest of those nations, it will be a snare and a trap to you, a whip on your sides, thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Don't go back. I'm giving you this land. I'm establishing this land for you. Don't go back because if you do, you're going to walk away from it. But God's name, it's so so embedded in this land that God puts his name in this city, the place where God, uh, the Lord your God chooses to establish his name to dwell, at the place where he chooses to establish his name, Uh, in the place where the Lord chooses to establish his name, in the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. If you go and look at a picture of Jerusalem, you're going to see etched in the topography of the city of Jerusalem, in the valleys, you have the the Kidron Valley over here, the Tyrophian Valley going here right down the heart of Jerusalem and the Hinnon Valley over here. And you see a letter called the letter Sheen. The letter Sheen is a representation of the name of God. If you look on the Jewish homes, if you go to Israel today and you, and you stay in a hotel room, you will see in, uh, on the sides of the, of the doorposts, the mezuzah. And on the mezuzah is a letter Sheen because it's the name of God. And, God if you look at an aerial view of Jerusalem you will see the name of God imprinted in the topography of the city of Jerusalem I'm going to skip yeah I'm going to skip the covenant of David (laughs) thing. he's establishing the covenant with David as well and he's saying that your son your seed the seed that's going to come from you is going to be the Messiah and he's going to rule and reign And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, and the Lord will be king over all the earth, the descendant of David. And when the Lord was on earth, he must go to Jerusalem. He set his face toward Jerusalem. He had to go to Jerusalem. He was determined to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because that is the place of the sacrifice. That is the place where redemption is going to take place. That is the place that God placed his name forever. That is the place that God established as the important place where it is is intertwined with the seed to be the covenant. Behold, days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The old one is going to be passed because it's going to be fulfilled. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people. God calls Israel my son. Thus he says, Israel is my son, my firstborn. There's the seed, the seed carrier. They're carrying the son of God in them. Yes. Right, right, yes. So I said, Let my son go that he may serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will. (laughs) Don't mess with the seed. That's right. I'm going to kill your firstborn. That's right. So, Romans. Tells us that God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And in verse 28 it says, From the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. So what does he do? This land, before the nation of, the, of Israel came back to the, na- uh, to, to the land, it was desolate. As a matter of fact, Mark Twain walked through there in 1867. And he said, the further we got, the harder the sun got, the more rocky and bare, repulsive, dreary. The landscape became, there was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere, even the olive and the cactus. Those fast friends of a worthless soil had almost deserted the country. Yeah. It was just barren because the people that that land had been assigned to were not on that land at that point. They did not possess that land. When they came back, There's a promise here. Ezekiel 36, for I will take you from the nations. Remember, the nation of Israel was scattered throughout all the nations of the earth. And it's a miracle, guys, that they were able to come back with their own language, with their own people, with their own culture, with their own history. And come back to the same land. You don't find that anywhere else in any other people. And the promise was given here in verse 24. For I will take you from all the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own, into your own land. Right. Now this is how long ago? <laughs> yeah. And yet God is still telling the nation of Israel, this is your land. Because he remembered his covenant with Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people and I will be your God. Therefore the days are coming declares the Lord when you will no longer be said as the Lord lives who brought us up out of the, the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But now you're going to be known as those people that were banished are going to be brought back to their land. Amen. I will restore them to their own land which I gave to their fathers. And here's the dry bones prophecy. Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves. My people, I will bring you into the land of Israel. I will place you on your own land. Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? I mean, this is preposterous. Right. And yet, May 14th, 1948, Israel... Jerusalem was reunited for the first time in June of 67, but the prophecy was fulfilled in May 14, 1948. And listen, guys, how preposterous this is. The green is Islam, the red is the land of promise, the green is sworn enemies to the land of the red. And yet, not only are they surviving, they're thriving. Yes, amen. Why? Thank you, Lord. Because God had said to his servant, Abram, I'm going yes. to set you up so that your descendants will have this land as an inheritance forever. Yes. And it's still that way today. This is the land of Israel today. And Israel became a nation in in uh, 1948. Jerusalem was reunited as capital of Israel in June 67. As a result of the six-day war, it's recognized as the legitimate capital of Israel on December the 6th, 2017, by President Donald Trump. U.S. Embassy was officially opened in Jerusalem May 14, 2018, as the 70th anniversary of the Israel declared its statehood. And now you've got milk as the highest per, uh, per cow... In the world, you've got 700,000 tons of fruit going out of that country. You've got exports of 2 billion people of vegetables. You've got defenses, Air Force number one in the world, 20th overall military strength. There's 20% of the Nobel Prize winners are Jewish. And there is prophetic posturing going on in that land to receive the Messiah back again any day. So, is it important? (laughs) Amen. Do you have any questions? (laughs) Do you have any questions? No. When God makes a promise and he walks between the pieces and he says, if I don't pull this off, I'm going to be like one of those animals. It will always be the land of Israel. Why? Because God said it would be. And God honors his promise. The same with his son. God said, if you believe in my son, and if you give your heart to him and know him as your savior, you will have an inheritance in heaven. He honors his promise and it will come to pass. I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here. And I thank you, Pastor Ron, for giving me this opportunity. I hope and pray that this has been a blessing for you. Awesome. Um, If it was a Wednesday night, wouldn't we love to ask him about 500 questions? (laughs)